that maybe to your point is that while some of this should be active and, and proactive and be intentional, I also think that a lot of the concerns that we have, and if you think about it, a lot of the things that maybe we saw posted on social media where you know, students were sharing these experiences, if you think about it, most of those things have more to do with an implicit bias than an explicit one. And, and, and this is where I, I'm going to speak very like locally, okay, because I, you could just go as far west as where I live in Clark County, and you will see more explicit racism than maybe you see in the middle of Ashburn, which is a very diverse community. Now, it, it's a lot of people from East and South Asia, but there's still, there's a lot of different racial and ethnic people, you know, living in close proximity. But I, I think that a lot of places have this concern, or a lot of teachers say, well, we don't really have that problem here. And I posted this online, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a week ago, that, you know, if, if you think racism isn't a problem in your school, that's why racism is a problem in your school. But I think a lot of times it's because while, while the progress is not acceptable, it would be crazy to say that no progress has been made since the 1960s or since the 19-teens. Like progress is happening. It's just slower than it probably, it's certainly slower than it should be, right? And so I think it's difficult because for a lot of people, and I'm going to generalize and say older teachers, and that might not be fair, but for a lot of people in their minds, the most harmful racism is the active stuff when someone directly like looks at someone and uses the racial slur, like I'm not saying that, you know, if you're singing a rap song, walking down the hallway, like shut up, don't do that, whatever. But that's also a little bit different than like the malicious act of using a racial slur with intent against a person versus repeating the song lyric. We can say they're both inappropriate. That's fine. But they're also not exactly the same thing. And so when you're a teacher in the classroom, when you're the, the teacher says, well, you know, I mean, groups are mixed and, and I don't, I don't segregate the classroom and all this. And it's like, yeah, but that's not, that's not enough because if in the end you assume a certain kid is going to need more or less help, or if you read the papers, like, you know, that halfway, about halfway through the year, I started having everybody put student ID numbers on their papers instead of their names, because I just, I don't want to grade your paper. You know, if I think you're a smart kid, I'm more likely to give you a good grade, but smart kids write bad papers sometimes, right? There is a lot of data that would support that black and Hispanic students in particular get slightly lower grades when there's any subjectivity in it. So if it's response, you know, it's an essay, it's a presentation, it's a speech, you know, and it's not always huge, but it's maybe the difference between a B and a B minus. There are huge disparities in many schools and, and arguably in most schools in discipline. And I've tried to point this out in meetings that it's just the thing that when someone who you think is kind of like you cracks an inappropriate joke, you kind of see where it's coming from because you think of that person as having something in common. And you say, hey, knock it off. Come on, that's not appropriate. When someone else makes a, a joke that is maybe equally inappropriate, but it's on a different topic or they said it differently, different words came out. Sometimes the response is, hey, that's inappropriate. Get to the office. It doesn't mean that it was actually worse. It's just not what you would have said. And so you process it as being something that's more severe. That's not an intentional act of racism. That's just someone said something differently than you would have said it. It's different than you expected. And the end result is a racist result, right? Like that person doesn't necessarily have to have the intentional bias. It's just an implicit thing in the back of their heads. And so it's very hard to change that, um, especially from a person who isn't willing to, to see it. You know, like we always want to say, well, I see a problem somewhere else. And you never want to sort of see that you're a part of it in a way. And so unless people are willing to accept at least like, you know, minor amounts of like, you know, guilt or that you're complicit in certain ways, 
it's really, really hard to get people to change their mindset. So if you're the geometry teacher, you say, well, how do I do a lesson on race? Whether you do or you don't, maybe you just need to be more aware of how the implicit parts of racial bias are affecting the way you treat students or the conversations that you will or won't have with them. Um, and that's why I think this is so hard because when you go to a place where you can just say, well, yeah, the teacher used the racial slur, the teacher puts all the, all the black kids at a different table. Like, I mean, that's obvious that's, you know, but what do you do in a room where nothing obvious happens and it's all those little pieces, you know, like how, I don't know, I don't know if you can train that out of someone. Uh, I don't, you know, can you assign enough books that they'll just get it? <laughs> you know, um, you say teach yourself and I think that's the right thing to do. But I also think that maybe we need to be most concerned with the people who are not so motivated to teach themselves. My question now is, is what I just said a cop out? I think that the whole concept of, well, what was their intention is never a valid excuse when the stakes are so high. Because when you look in history, there was one, I think it was, it was either a, a speech or a book where it said the white woman in America is the most dangerous person. And it said this because, you know, they can share ideas like, oh, this, this black man looked at me funny or, you know, whatever. And then you end up with a situation like, damn it too. And then the woman just says, well, it, like, it's not my intention to be racist. Like I can't help the outcome. It's like, you need to think about those kinds of things. You, if it's so, if it doesn't matter that much in your mind where you can't, you can't have some kind of insight on the effects of your actions and what the outcome of your actions would be, then that's, that's a huge part of the issue because most times, and I say most times in, in our local context, people aren't thinking, I want to be racist. I'm going to say this. But I also know that, you know, like on teacher Twitter, like you know, people have these teacher chats and people share all these ideas. There have been all these discussions, you know, in the last two weeks of what are you going to change? What are you doing differently? How, how can you have anti-racism in your classroom? And, you know, we can always be better, but I'm like, my response is essentially I need to update some materials. Like this has been a big part of what I teach and how I teach for a long time. That doesn't mean that I'm doing it perfectly. Like I said, there's always room for improvement, but I, I keep using the phrase like anti-racism is, is a vaccine or it's like a daily treatment. So it's, it's your daily vitamin. Like it can't be used as a bandaid. Like if you do this for two weeks and the first two weeks of next school year, and then you forget about it, like that's not anti-racism. And so for me personally, like I'm in this weird spot cause I don't want to, I don't want to devalue another person's experience and I don't want to say that any of these acts intentional or unintentional are, are okay. But I also know that to do this is something you have to always be doing. And this is an important part of my class and how I teach. And so they say, what are you going to do differently? And my answer is like, I'm not trying to be lazy or stupid about it. My answer is like, not a lot. I'm going to update materials and, and the discussion to reflect the current situation. I don't see a massive change coming. Well, I think that that's definitely valid from a from a strictly a teaching perspective, because I will agree. I think your class did a great job of highlighting a lot of ideas that had not been highlighted in my education before your class that are related to race and other um, injustices in, in the American society specifically. But I would say 
as part of the teaching community, I would be surprised if you have never seen any of these kinds of microaggressions or blatantly racist acts or heard about them through the, through the grapevine. I'd be surprised if you hadn't heard about any of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't leave my classroom very much, so I don't see very much at all. Like, I go to work, and I'm in my room, and there are kids in the room from bell to bell. Like, I, I very rarely have a minute to myself. But no, and I do, and that's, that was actually, I wasn't going to say this, but one of the things that actually surprised me in those posts was that none of the names that, like, if you said students are going to call out teachers for being racist, not a single one of the names that I thought, like, these are the most obvious and simple things. And in those cases, if, you know, I hear about it through students, you know, I'm not in those classrooms. Um, my conversation is usually trying to empower the student to talk with their parents, to talk to the counselor, talk to the principal. And for places where it's like a repeat deal or it's a little more pointed, I either say something to the teacher or I've, I've passed it along to principals in the past. And that's also a place, you know, where I just saw someone posted this, the continuum between like being, you know, racist and anti-racist or, or it, and in the anti-racist, it was like abolitionist, I think was the term at the far end. And, it, but it got to the point where it was like, are you willing to sacrifice your own health, safety, well-being, whatever else for the cause of anti-racism? And I was like, man, I'm like all the way, I'm just sure of that. Like, because in the end, as much as serious as I take the problem and as much as I want to do something, I will have that conversation with that teacher. I will have that conversation with the principal but I'm not in a position where I can, I, it's not actionable to me. I can't fire a person or force someone to do training. And while I could probably make a big fuss in a public statement and do whatever else, I'm also not going to jeopardize my ability. You know, and this, and this is, I'm sounding like a bad guy here, but I'm just, I'm trying to be honest. Like I'm not going to jeopardize my ability to feed my family or pay for my home to make a big fuss about that teacher. Like, but yeah, like that, that happens. And, and that, that was actually, I was, I was really surprised at, a couple of the names of teachers who were called out. And I was even more surprised by a few people who were not mentioned. And well, yeah, you know, it's like you have to do something and I have that conversation, but I, I'm aware enough to know that there's a limitation to my willingness to do that. And it's the point at which I think it's going to jeopardize my professional situation where I will just continue making the small statements because I think the big one is important, but that's, that's, that's where like, that's my limitation. That's where like my cowardice comes in. There is a point at which there's certain things that I wouldn't sacrifice or risk because I also don't know that it would have that big of an impact. Right. And I think to be clear, it's important to distinguish that, you know, this, this idea of allyship is not only trying to find some means of punishing the person necessarily, but trying to educate them yourself because honestly as a member of the black community these past two weeks have been so exhausting the amount of paragraphs I've had to write so you know just trying to educate is also a huge part in it and I can't imagine I mean you know who knows but I can't imagine that having the purpose of educating your peer would lead to some kind of disciplinary action against you. Oh yeah. No, the personal conversation's fine. It's, it's, if you pat, it's in a couple of situations where I've passed it along to an administrator where I'm like, this is like somebody really needs to sit down and at minimum have a very serious conversation, but maybe something needs to be done. 
when there's no follow-up or at least, and, and, and also we always have to be careful because like a couple of the things that I saw posted about, I actually know that there were discussions with that teacher, but the students aren't made privy to it. So in certain situations, some of these things are handled, whether they're handled well or not, we can argue about, but we don't always know, but you know, I'll then say, give the reminder, but beyond that, like I'm, I'm again, I'm not going to keep banging the same drum if no one's going to listen to that. And so you find other ways to do it. I mean, I actually volunteered a few years ago. We had, it was like, I would say at the beginning of the new um, equity initiatives, but we had a faculty meeting where they showed us the, the disciplinary data for the past school year. And it was broken down by uh, racial groups, by gender, by, I forget day of the week. I mean, they had it all broken down. You could see what you could see where in the building, the problems happen, what days, who was getting, you know, sent to the office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, but in the end there, no one tried to explain it. It was just, here it is. What, what can we do about it? And I'm like, what can we do about it? It's too vague of a question. And so I actually went and I spent literally uh, over an hour and this is probably shortly, it was, I don't know if it was, was short, probably shortly after you left the school. Um, and I spent a little over an hour of my planning block sitting one-on-one with the principal talking about what the purpose of that was and how we can make it a little more pointed so that the people in the room who need to recognize they're part of it can do that. And I mean, he was very open and, and with what was going on and what we did and why we did it that way and the rest. And one of the things that I know it's a little, it's a little hokey at this point because people it doesn't surprise as many people. But I was like, we should have done the, the implicit bias test, like from the Harvard website and then show everyone the data. Let them, let them first see, you know, to a certain extent, how involved might I be and then show them the numbers as that it takes 10 extra minutes in the meeting, but it, it helps people to stop saying, well, not me, you know? And so we had, but we, we had, and he was great in that conversation and I would love to be able to run that meeting, but I'm also, again, not sure I'm the guy to, to do it. It's just, it's, it's so hard to think about how you change a large institution aside from changing your piece. And to your point, you do it in your class, you make your own statement. Do you think that functions differently in the university level? Like, is this conversation the same in college as it is in high school? 